0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Very Cold Lasagna podcast, your filthy, casual place for all those filthy, casual takes on the world of sports. I am your host, Dylan Lasagna. This is episode number 159 of this icy yet spicy podcast. Today, we got a good show for you all because we're once again going back to the past and into the deep, dark depths of the freezer to grab that very old ice box for another retro review here in today's episode. What exactly are we doing for this retro review? Well, we're once again taking a look at a SummerSlam that took place on this exact date. But how far are we going for this SummerSlam? Well, we're going back to the past 20 years ago for that SummerSlam that took place. And as we go along in this episode, I'll detail which one that exactly is. Uh, Before we get into today's show, I know I haven't been as um, active, as frequent with the the content as it was back in July and February and so on and so forth. I, th- I thought to myself, you know, I've been going nonstop hardcore uh, with everything in relation to very cold lasagna for a lot of <laughs> these several months. And especially considering that we're going uh, full full on hardcore uh, for the rest of the year, starting in September, once the NFL season starts to roll along uh, in a couple of weeks. And I thought, this is kind of like my last chance to give myself a breather. And I thought, you know, the month of August kind of gives me that chance to, you know, get myself to relax, breathe, uh, do what I need to do, and so on and so forth. So, hope you all listening, you know, understand where I'm coming from. But nonetheless, I hope you guys are enjoying the the content that I do, am providing you with these uh, retro reviews uh, and, you know, old icebox uh kind of videos so yeah i hope you guys are enjoying the content nonetheless and things will be picking up uh in the next several weeks as we go along with the nfl season and then for the wrestling fans out there um there are like a couple things um to look out for like i think payback's coming up and then you have all in and all out uh, with AEW. um yeah i'm still gonna be talking about wrestling uh, during the football season granted that i'm still interested and talking about it compared to last year, <laughs> but yeah, so there's some things to come up uh, with design yeah. Um once uh, once September comes along, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to like really start pushing, start um, grinding. Hopefully, not to super stressful levels though. <laughs> but yeah, it's stress right now I'm gonna take a little bit of a chill period here in August. So yeah, anyway. As always, you know, make sure you follow the show on social media on Twitter slash X and Instagram at Very cold lasagna. And then if you're listening to this show on audio, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you rate and review the show. It means the world to me and it helps me where I need to improve with your feedback. And if you're listening to this on YouTube or watching this on YouTube, make sure to smash the subscribe button. Leave a comment. Share this with your friends. Share this with your uh, family members or a stranger anybody and then of course subscribe so yeah let's keep the gravy train rolling with very lasagna and of course keep eating that very lasagna that is in the fridge or you know of course don't actually eat that very lasagna that you grab in your fridge but nonetheless just keeps spreading the w- good word of mouth about very lasagna to whoever you want to So, let's get into today's show, shall we? And that is, of course, going back to the past with SummerSlam. So, how far did I say we were going with this SummerSlam this time around? I already did one from 10 years ago um, with the previous episode with SummerSlam 2013. Well, on this day, we're going back 20 years back to the past. And that is, of course, SummerSlam 2003. So, with this... This event it took place on August twenty fourth, two thousand three, at the American West, the um, American West Arena. Then that's like a mouthful to say, <laughs> if I say that a million times. But anyway, this event took place on August twenty fourth, two thousand three, at the American West Arena, which I don't know if you're into arenas at all or not, but this is now known in modern times as the Footprint Center, um, in Phoenix, Arizona. So, some NBA fans know this as the home of the Phoenix Suns um, in the NBA, but yeah, there you go. So, this was, the Footprint Center was formerly known as the American West Arena in 2003. So, this was the 16th annual SummerSlam, and one of the reasons why I noticed SummerSlam so well was because of the commercial. Um, that they use for advertising for the SummerSlam. It was the commercial of Brock Lesnar giving a shark an F5 in the water, and then I think he he used the shark um, to impress a a hot babe on the beach afterwards. Oh, man, that that commercial was pretty pretty awesome. Oh, man, those are the days, man, where you could have those crazy-ass commercials. Uh, Nowadays, they just don't do those kind of commercials, unfortunately. But anyway, uh, this event... You know, had a couple of firsts. Um, This was the first one to feature the original World Heavyweight Championship in a title defense. Uh, More on that as we talk about this show. And then this was the first and only SummerSlam as of right now to feature the Elimination Chamber match, um, which was being contested for just the second time in its short history. And then just like with the World Heavyweight Championship, we'll explain how exactly this Elimination Chamber match came about here in this event so a couple of fun facts um, about this show before we get the ball rolling with its entire like match card and and show uh lillian garcia the 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 ring announcer for raw she would sing the national anthem and man it just reminds me how much i miss her ring announcing i'm not sure what she's up to nowadays um in in her career i know she left WWE a couple years ago but man i sorely miss her um, I know there's, like, a, a tweet that I saw saying, like, oh, Samantha Irvin's, like, sir, fat, like uh, in the conversation of GOAT. Yeah, sure, but I can't put her above uh, Lillian Garcia, Tony Chimble, Howard Finkel. No, sorry. But anyway, yeah, Lillian Garcia opened the show, singing the national anthem, and, yeah, I, I, I really miss her. And then the opening was, like, a nice touch with how dark half of these, like, main feud stories were we're gonna be you know you have this like opening promo you know all summer it's summer you should be outside enjoying the beach and the babes but then it instantly cuts to like a graveyard like talking about death like oh man (laughs) like that took a dark turn really fast unfortunately um because it was the paper like the network or peacock version i was watching uh the pay-per-views original theme song, which was "Saint Anger" by Metallica, it was replaced by some generic ass shit. Like, <laughs> and this generic ass theme song, um, by the way, it was it was put over, uh, through like I think all the major matches that were that had Saint Anger, on in the promo packages for all the major matches because you know I guess Saint Anger was like a heavily, like a costly song to license so it's like uh so the generic theme like just didn't really match up the show it also didn't match up like all the pro- all the promo like the 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 video package for like the WWE title match the elimination chamber match it was just not a good match <laughs> so it's like man they, they couldn't really pay up the ass to keep say anger on there man that really sucked so, the show actually di- uh, started on Sunday Night Heat on TV, and it was like a very quick Cruiserweight Championship match between Rey Mysterio and Shannon Moore. I don't really have a lot to say about this, other than, you know, I like Rey Mysterio, but this match was kind of sloppy towards the end, because um, Rey Mysterio hit a 619, um, but he slipped off the ring apron when he was getting ready to set up the West Coast Pop, which was botchy in of itself. Um, but he did retain the Cruiserweight Championship Um, but, oh man, this match was, oh, it was quick, but it was also pretty rough at the end. A fun fact about this match though, um, for me, it was one of the hardest matches I had to go back and find, um, when I'm doing these retro reviews because it wasn't on YouTube. Um, it wasn't on the certain, uh, parts of the web that I had to, have to go and find, um, these pay-per-view events. But thankfully, there was a Facebook post um, from a year ago by the WWE that had this match in its entirety. So thank you, WWE, <laughs> for providing that, for keeping that on on social media. Thank you, Internet. Thank you, Internet. So we do actually open up the show with the World Tag Team Championships on the line. La Resistance, uh, Rene Dupree and Sylvian Grinner uh, taking on... Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley of the Dudley Boys. Back in the day, you had this uh, new tag team uh, called La Resistance. Um, two arrogant Frenchmen, as they pronounce themselves. Um, they were just basically another anti American uh, tag team. Uh, there were a lot of anti American <laughs> tag teams back in the day. Um, a year prior, you had uh, the Un Americans, and now heading into this SummerSlam, you had. La Resistance. So it's basically a a French. It's just a French attack team. So they debuted the night after after Backlash 2003. After like several vignettes were aired. Um, like I said, Sylvain Grinner, Rene Dupree. Um, but actually in in reality they were actually both French Canadian. uh, By the way, for those of you wondering. So they were just playing French, um, in storyline. Um, so they debuted the night after Backlash. <clears throat> they had a brief feud with Scott Steiner and Test. Um, They would end up winning the World Tag Team Championships after Judgment Day uh, from Rob Van Dam and Kane um, in June at Bad Blood. So they would go on to feud with the Dudley Boys, um, who were the latest uh, team to stand up to La Resistance and their anti-American beliefs. Um, and they also oversaw like a couple weeks before SummerSlam. They were abusing this seemingly innocent American serviceman in the crowd. Um, So on the go-home show of Raw, they had enough of La Resistance abusing this guy. And then once they were celebrating with the unnamed serviceman, it was revealed that the serviceman was uh, aligned with La Resistance the whole time. He attacked the Dudley boys. And then once they got the upper hand on the Dudleys, they buried the Dudley boys on the American flag. So yeah. It was another one of those uh anti-American uh storylines that WWE uh used a lot in the Ruthless Aggression era. So this match was uh, I got a lot. I got I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty it was a pretty good opener. You know, the Dudleys going after the the Brit uh the French team as soon as they came out. They have the early advantage uh once things got settled. Uh one of the early funny moments that I liked in this match was Bubba Ray Dudley stepping on Sylvian Grinner's nuts when he was in the tree, tree of O. He was just like repeatedly stepping on his nuts. And Jerry was like so quick to react. That's a no that's a no standing zone. <laughs> he, was saying that. he was like, that's a no stand zone <laughs> when he was talking about his nuts. That <laughs> was so funny. So then La Resistance, you know, he eventually take control um, midway through the match. Um, they had some pretty solid uh, double team moves on Bubble Ray Dudley, um, despite the obvious USA, USA um, chance from the crowd. Uh, but, you know, Devon Dudley comes in with the hot tag um, to get the Dudleys back in the match. And, you know, they were nearly about to win the world tag team titles um, in this match um, after they got their usual, what's up? You know, when D- then Devon Dudley does his headbutt. Uh, into, uh, I think it's Griner's nuts. <laughs> and then they did. The, they even got the 3D in. And they were about to win. But then Rene Dupree, uh, Rene Dupree uh, pulled the referee out. And then Rory Dudley went after him. But then he also got Nick Patrick, the referee, also outside. And then they were fighting. And he got caught up in all the action that was going on out there. And then that allowed a, but seemingly beat, a WWE photographer. Um... You know, seemingly innocent, he, he actually would hit Devon Dudley with the camera, and then Sylvan Greener took advantage and pinned him for a successful La Resistance tag team defense. So, in actuality, you know, the photographer would also hit Bubba Ray Dudley and then Spike Dudley, who came out, and then he revealed himself to be that same person that dressed up as the fake US serviceman. So, I gotta say, you know, it was a nice main card opener with the tag team well known to fire up the crowd and an anti-American team that pretty much, you know, the crowd hated. I will say though it was a little bit of backwards booking for the Dudleys to give La resistance credit for cheating in a post-match interview they were talking with Jonathan Coachman it's like um you know we don't like these guys but we will admit um they we will give them credit for um you know using the, the cameraman the serviceman for so they're basically saying that oh Okay, great is do for cheating, but we will not stop until we get the world tag team titles. It's kind of a little bit backwards booking, in my opinion. Um, but you know, I liked I liked the the back and forth in this match from both teams, and yeah, the, the twist ending I thought it was fine. I thought it's fine for what it was. So the third man um, after SummerSlam was eventually revealed to be Rob Conway. Um, but they would still end up losing the World Tag Team Titles anyway at Unforgiven in a handicapped tables match to the Dudley Boys. So for Law of Resistance, uh, after that, they had a couple more side feuds. Uh, but Renee Dupree uh, was drafted to SmackDown, and then Greener and Conway, you know, they continued to team to team up to win the World Tag Team Titles like a few more times in 2004. But then by mid 2005, they were like done as a team as a whole. Funny enough, you know, Law Resistance is still a team to this day, but I think it's just like, I think it's Griner and then I think it's also Dupree in that team. I don't know. But either way, I thought this was a good opener. Next up, we had The Undertaker take on A-Train. Why were we getting this uh, WrestleMania 19 feud again? Why were we getting, like, or at least half of this 19 WrestleMania 19 feud again? So... This, this feud basically restarted, or at least half of it, because, you know, A-Train, by this point, had basically become Mr. McMahon's hired enforcer. So, a month prior, at Vengeance, A-Train injured Vince McMahon's own daughter and SmackDown general manager Stephanie McMahon. So, she was pretty much off TV for a month, and then he frequently started targeting The Undertaker, and that led to this match. Yeah, that was basically the basis of this match. So, A-Train... Becoming the, the Vince McMahon's hired gun, so I mean this was not really a lot to take from from this match. It's just like um, the Undertaker seemingly looked like he was gonna squash A Train with a lot of signature. He, how much he was hitting the signature moves early on, but then A Train um, was going after the Undertaker's uh, injured ribs that John Cena would um, would hurt the month prior at Vengeance, and then. Pretty much, it was a a lot of song and dance, like Undertaker was going to come back, but then A-Train would hit hit his finisher, the derailleur, for a near fall, and then shenanigans would ensue with Undertaker accidentally hitting the referee, Um, but then A-Train tried to take advantage with a steel chair, but to no avail, and Undertaker would finish him off with a chokeslam, and that was pretty much it. So afterwards, Sable, um, Vince McMahon's latest seductress (laughs) at the time... Uh, she tried to use her seductiveness on The Undertaker, but that doesn't work on the dead man, brother. Um, he wouldn't be fooled. He was about to choke slam her uh, to oblivion, but then he instead saved her um, for the returning general manager, Stephanie McMahon, uh, who made a beeline for Sable and beat her down until A Train was able to pull her out. Um, you know, not that way, but, you know, take her out of the ring. Um, so, yeah, Stephanie McMahon was back in the WWE um to resume her duties as general manager at the time and yeah that was pretty much this match I don't really have much else to say about it because uh, I mean it is what it was what it was it was whatever so after this match you know Undertaker uh, would get another WWE title shot against Brock Lesnar um in a biker chain match and no mercy but he lost because of Vince McMahon and That pretty much started their own feud going into Survivor Series later in the year. Meanwhile, for Stephanie McMahon, her return eventually triggered a feud between her and her dad, Vince, Um, a month later. uh, culminating in a feud, uh, Coleman in a match at No Mercy, which was an I Quit match, that not only would she lose because I think it was her mother, Linda, would throw in the towel for her, but she would also lose... Uh, also in storyline, lose their position as general manager of SmackDown, which would be handed over to one, Paul Heyman. So, yeah. I mean, I guess in the grander scheme of themes, it did lead to a couple of notable storyline uh, storyline events later on uh, for, for this match. So next up, we had a third match that was kind of important on this card, but then it was like, uh, yeah. There's, I guess this maybe shouldn't have happened on the show. And that was Shane McMahon going up against the Raw general manager, Eric Bischoff. I will mention this again later on when I talk about this certain match. Shane McMahon uh, returned uh, a couple weeks prior, after two years away from the WWE, after the invasion angle ended, to confront Kane. Because Kane, who was on a warpath at the time, for because he basically unmasked... Um, He tombstone hit her, his mother, Linda, but you know, for Shane, his rivalry with Kane wouldn't really go into full gear quite yet because I guess WWE needed Shane to tune up for that rivalry. He needed a tune up rival for, for, for Shane. So they elected to make Roger, our manager, Eric Bischoff, that tune up rival. So basically the basis of this feud was, you know, Eric Bischoff, not allowing uh, Shane, To go after Kane and instead uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, I think what happened was, you know, he elected to make Bischoff versus Shane McMahon after Bischoff won a match against Kane, uh, even by an intentional countout by Kane. And then, so what happened was, you know, this match was made official after Eric Bischoff intentionally uh, won. And then Eric Bischoff, you know, decided to make things a little personal by kissing Linda by force in the bedroom. So, yeah, (laughs) that was a thing. That was a thing. So, you know, this match at first, you know, it was basically expected how how I expected it. You know, Shane being the crap out of uh, Bischoff around the ring. I mean, obviously, it's two guys that, you know, aren't technically trained for wrestling. But, I mean, it is okay. Um, but then I began to question why the referee was trying to count them out. Um, and then you had Jonathan Coachman out there interfering, attacking Shane McMahon with a steel chair. And then it was just going to lead to a a disqualification when, you know, initially literally I thought, wasn't this a match, a no disqualification match in the first place? Wasn't that what the co-general manager, Steve Austin, said this was going to be? But then I realized it wasn't (laughs) because when the referee was about to call for the bell, Eric Bischoff like held the ring bell hostage. He's like, like, no, 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 you're not going to ring that bell ref because Eric Bischoff changed the rules mid match uh, before the ref could signal for the bell to be uh, rang. And then he made the match false count anywhere. So I was like, okay, (laughs) so now it's officially no DQ. It was like, you could have made no DQ in the first place, by the way. But we had a little bit of twist there. So, why why exactly was the, the coach, as Jonathan Coachman was nicknamed there, why was Jonathan Coachman helping Eric Bischoff? Well, a little bit of a side note here. Um, Co-general manager Eric Bischoff, not Eric Bischoff, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he actually rehired Jim Ross um, from his commissary position that uh, Jonathan Coachman took for a little while. And he demoted Jonathan Coachman back to his interviewer position two weeks prior, so that's why Jonathan Coachman's all pissed and angry um, at at Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler per se. So basically, from here it became a handicap match uh, showcasing the skills of Bischoff and Coachman, like you know Bischoff's karate skills and Coachman attempting to return to commentary because you know bischoff had jim ross's and jerry lawler's headsets cut off so basically uh even, i mean even in the arena you could not really hear you can't really hear jr and king talking but now you can clearly hear coach talking because he has a microphone mimicking jr <laughs> so yeah that happened and then stone cold steve austin came out to pretty much save everyone from i i'd say at this point it was kind of like I don't know, I thought this match was not exactly uh, a five-star, it's not expected to be a five-star classic, but it's just not, it it was just, it was just wasn't good, uh, to be honest with you, but Johnson coachman certainly didn't provide any appreciation for the rattlesnake, Um, and by this point, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin couldn't touch anybody, um, or he would risk being fired from his co-general manager position, um, unless he was provoked. And Shane McMahon, though, would push Jonathan Coachman into Steve Austin, which technically allowed Austin to attack Jonathan Coachman without any consequence. So he and Shane started double teaming uh, the coach um, before they turned it into a handicap match on Eric Bischoff. So Stone Cold gave a stunner to Eric Bischoff, and then Shane McMahon, um, bad groin and all. Put him through the Spanish announce table with the leap of faith flying elbow to win a match. It, which can you even consider it's a match? I don't know. So actually, later on in the night, you know, Linda McMahon appeared, um, and then he, uh, she, uh, Linda McMahon appeared uh, when Eric Bischoff was in the trainer's room to slap him silly for payback for what what he did to her. So, bad boy Bischoff, man, bloody and all. So, you know, I get the purpose of this match. I don't even call it a match. I basically call it like an angle because this this was like half of this match was basically Eric Bischoff and Jonathan Coachman like, you know, showing off, like I said, showing off their skills. You know, Bischoff going full karate on Shane McMahon and then Jonathan Coachman, uh, I think he, yeah, he was showing, mimicking Jim Ross, providing live commentary and then kicking Shane in the dick, which I think slowed down Shane the rest of the way. So, to be honest with you, this is, like, basically a segment that they could have done on Raw. Um, this is, like, a two-on-one beatdown. Um, and then Stone Cold coming up for the save. Yeah, this basically could have been on a Raw or something. I mean, again, it wasn't good, but it also wasn't terrible either. Um, but I just felt like, you know, this is did this really have to be here on a SummerSlam? It, it's, I'm just saying... I mean, again, it's not bad or anything. It's just like, I don't know. It didn't really have its place. It didn't really have its place. But I digress. I guess you need an angle one way or another, but it was what it is. So at least it got to the point of, you know, Shane McMahon now ready to fully go into this feud with Kane, you know, that went into Survivor Series. Um, I'll talk more about that feud when we talk about that other match that relates to this um, Shane McMahon angle. Meanwhile, for Eric Bischoff, I mean, you know, it's Eric Bischoff. (laughs) What, in 2003, he was still general manager of Raw. Um, I mean, you use them when you use them. So, there you go. So, next up, we had a failed four-way match for the United States Championship. Championship. Eddie Guerrero defending his title against Chris Benoit, Rhino, and Tajiri. Interesting note about this matchup. You know, you had two separate rivalries going on here. Eddie versus Tajiri, and then... Invisible man Benoit going up against Rhino, all those rivalries would be intersected into this one match. Um, so yeah, everyone had a beef for one another in this match. You know, Guerrero feuding over Tajiri with the fact that Eddie being furious over like a very minuscule thing, Tajiri hitting his low rider, um, during that tag team title loss to Shadow Benjamin and Charlie Haas like a month ago on SmackDown. Um, so it's like, really. (laughs) Over a low rider uh, accident Like damn And then he threw uh, Tajiri onto his windshield On another low rider It's like okay (laughs) Meanwhile for Benoit and Rhino uh, Rhino was angry over the Lack of success they were having as a tag team And he went on to betray And cost Benoit his US tournament Final against Eddie Guerrero At the previous pay-per-view Vengeance So yeah All these rivalries were pretty much coming to a head And then the SmackDown prior, when each each of these t- each of these guys were in a tag team match, you know Eddie Guerrero pretty much took them all out. them uh, afterwards, after the match, so yeah, he had a big target on his back. So for Eddie, he was kind of smart to stay away from the ring at first. You know he, like I said, attacked all three of his opponents on the Thursday prior um, on SmackDown. So. He pretty much you know got his cheap shots cheap shots in, try to get his fruit roll ups in, um, and then he would quickly leave the ring and then let the other guys do the work. But then that strategy would only pay off for so long, um, as he eventually gets suckered into uh, to the to the fast paced fire of his opponents, and then he would eventually you know have to wrestle just like everyone else. Um, later on in the match, much later, you know both Eddie and and Benoit, you know they had their submission finishers. Um, Eddie having the el pa- the lasso from El Paso on Tajiri and then Rhino game locked into the cross face. Um you know the referee was like uh uh who's going uh, who do I make what I call the the victory on on whoever taps I'm like well they both tap. So it was kind of like that situation. Uh Tajiri forced the rope break though. Um yes in a four way like how does that make any sense? I don't know. The rules were weird back in the day. And then once uh, the rope break happened, you know, Guerrero had to break the cross face that Benoit was applying on Rhino. And then while Tajiri had the tarantula locked in on Chris Benoit later on, you know, Rhino hit a gore on, you know, the spear on, on Eddie Guerrero. But Eddie Guerrero, like he used the United States title as a shield. So pretty much Rhino, you know, he had his like shoulder, like all, all effed up in 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 the impact, so minutes later, you know, Tajiri and Benoit knocked each other out, and then Guerrero goes on to retain the United States Championship over Rhino with a frog splash. So, this match was fun. This match was pretty fun. It was a frantic four-way, near falls were plenty. You had a lot of suspense going into this match, uh, uh, throughout the match, um, with with the, the double submissions. Um, oh, all these near falls. And everyone got a lot of time to shine in this pretty fast match. I'd say the star of this match had to be Tajiri. I like his buzzsaw offense. It was like pretty fun. And I thought he was going to use the mist. Maybe like he didn't use uh, I guess it was later on when he used it. But he he was like pretty damn fast (laughs) in this match. But, you know, everyone deserves their flowers too. So pretty fun United States Championship match. So after this, uh, after SummerSlam, you know, Eddie Guerrero, he actually went back to being a babyface and he, uh, until 2005, obviously, with the Rey Mysterio feud, he he pretty much was a babyface and he feuded with John Cena and then later the Big Show. Tajiri, you know, he would go back to the Cruiserweight division and win his third and final Cruiserweight title from Rey Mysterio a month later. And then he also turned heel. Maybe that's when he started using the Green Mist. And then for Chris Benoit and Rhino, they would settle their feud on SmackDown two weeks later. Benoit won the feud, and then for Rhino, you wouldn't see him on TV until the 2004 Royal Rumble. And you know, for Benoit, he began a singles push for the rest of the year, leading into that 2004 Royal Rumble, and then of course WrestleMania 20. So then you had your first major matchup on the night, and that being the WWE Championship match between Kurt Angle. And Brock Lesnar This is a rematch of their WrestleMania 19 title matchup in the main event where both both of them got hurt like ugh. So Lesnar anyway won the title from Kurt Angle at that at that point in time Angle, you know, he was off TV to recover from a serious neck injury Lesnar was in feuds with John Cena and the big show during that time off uh, Angle came back in June to start an initial buddy rivalry with Lesnar in the lead up to vengeance, you know, all those segments where Angle was trying to get the girl, uh, but Lesnar, you know, pat him on the back so hard that he spit milk. Then they had the push-up contest, <laughs> those backstage segments, you know, it was, those were some of the like best Lesnar segment, Lesnar segments. And, you know, it's also brought some of the best out of Angle too. God, those segments were good. And then of course, like I said, you know, this, this was like a buddy rivalry, Um, In the lead up to a Vengeance triple threat match That also involved the Big Show You know, Angle won back the title by pitting Lesnar And you thought that Hmm, this is going to lead to some intense Like intensity and a potential rematch Maybe at SummerSlam And that's exactly what happened Lesnar challenged Angle to a rematch at SummerSlam But Vince McMahon inserted himself into that rivalry By making Lesnar earn it in a steel cage match against Nunner and the devil himself, Vince. And then he upped the stakes by making Kurt Angle the special guest referee. And Lesnar's like, no, what What the hell? What are you doing, Vince? But then you get to the actual steel cage match. Um, and prior to that, Brock Lesnar gets assaulted backstage by a mysterious someone, or at least we think he did. And then Brock Lesnar, you know, he still does the match. And then when he looks like he's going to take out Vince with an F5, he just suddenly collapses and then Kurt Angle, like, like briefly stops the match to make sure that Le- uh, Brock is OK. He goes on to attack Vince uh, for, uh, you know, not, not not following or whatever. But then when he's attacking Vince, he, Lesnar keeps up and then he goes on to attack Angle. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty damn well clear that, you know, it, it was a setup uh, for Les by Lesnar and McMahon to go after Angle. So Lesnar turns heel, aligns with Mr. McMahon, and it pretty much begins a new mean streak for Brock Lesnar. Um, And he pretty much made it clear that he didn't care about Angle at all. He cared about that WWE title that Angle took from him. Um, And it unlocked a vicious new mean streak uh, for Lesnar going into this uh, SummerSlam rematch. So yeah, this match was, man, this is crazy good. Like one of the best SummerSlam matches ever. Um, Why do I say that? Well, he had a lot of chain wrestling early on um, And it frustrated Lesnar With the fact that Kurt Angle would take control But then Lesnar displayed This new mean attitude He literally yeeted Kurt Angle Out of the ring And then once uh, Lesnar brought him back in He just hit every move As hard as he possibly could uh, On Kurt Angle's midsection To just take control Like one fourth of the match But then Angle would retake control, um, and then he literally just—he just went off. Um, sure, Lesnar would take briefly take control, but it's like Angle would just hit everything he had, like Angle Slam, uh, even if it was near fall. Um, and then he would lock in the ankle lock until Lesnar escaped, and then threw him into the referee. And then that's where the shenanigans began. But then, Kurt Angle—you know—he's still locking the ankle lock. As long as he could, like, he didn't care if there was a referee, it's damn Kurt Angle. Lesnar would tap out, but then, of course, like I said, there's no referee, but then he, like, Kurt Angle, is like, like, he really wanted to hurt Brock, he really wanted to hurt his ankle. So, Vince McMahon came out, hit Angle with the chair, and then this allowed a one-legged Brock Lesnar to hit an F5, but then, even then, both of those things were not enough to get a three count once the ref was back up and recovered. So, Lesnar's like, what the fuck do I do, Vince? Like, what do I do? What do I do to get this win? Well, Vince McMahon told him to do it again. Hit another F5. But other than the same result this time around, ankle countered and locked in another ankle lock. And despite Lesnar's attempt to get to a rope break um, on all three ropes and try to get to the, to the fourth one, it Lesnar's ankle was so badly beat up from Enduring a long ankle lock. Well, he had no choice but to tap out. But he had no choice but to tap out. And Kurt Angle retained the WWE title. So afterwards, uh, Vince tried to sneak attack Kurt Angle again with the chair. But Kurt saw it coming. Kurt hit, hit an angle slam on Vince onto the steel chair back first. And yeah, he did that as a birthday gift from him, from Angle to Vince. <laughs> Like, I didn't know that was this SummerSlam took place on Vince McMahon's birthday. Like, oh man, that, that, the cruel irony on Vince's birthday, dude, uh, at that time. I wonder how old he was, he turned on that day. Someone, um, looked that up for me. <laughs> it's like, damn. Vince making another sacrifice, uh, on his, even, uh, on his birthday too. He gave out his back for y'all on his birthday crazy insane to think about so this is a really good Dino uh, match uh from the two best wrestlers during that time uh so Lesnar you know he had this new mean streak that he was uh, trying to show off and he did uh, but when he desperately needed it when he desperately um needed it to win the title well it came back to bite him it was like he let his emotions uh get the best of him and yeah, he just got outsmarted and outplayed uh, by Kurt Angle, and then for Angle, he showed off why he's one of the best from both an in-ring and strategic standpoint. Um, and they just like really wrote this match damn well. Um, and Kurt Angle was walked out of SummerSlam the WWE title uh, with the WWE title, and. I thought the Vince shenanigans were were kind of good too. You know, still playing off that storyline. Oh, Lesnar is aligned with uh with Vince. You know, Vince still trying to help help out Lesnar get that title back, but to no avail. I thought it was a really good matchup. So afterwards, you know, Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar, they would face off one more time for the WWE title in a 30-minute Iron Man match a few weeks later on SmackDown. Lesnar would win back the title uh on that SmackDown and then they would face off against each other one last time in I think this is their final encounter um, at Survivor Series as the team captains for their, uh, their Survivor Series teams later that year, which Angle won. So, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty this was a really good uh, SummerSlam uh, WWE title match. So our second to final matchup that we're going to be talking about here in this retro review of SummerSlam 03 is one that was really, really interesting. One that was, at least for one guy, and that was Kane versus Rob Van Dam. A lot of people were talking, talking about this match because, well, for for Kane and RVD, you know, they were previously tag team partners um, for for half of 2002, and then going into 2003, the the, the first half of 2003, but then they lost the World Tag Team Championships to Bob Resistance. And then Kane goes on to challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship again to trip, against Triple H. But then he loses that match. And then one of the stipulations was that Kane was forced to remove his signature mask that he had during that time. And then since he lost, he had to remove that mask. And well, let's just say it gave us one of the... The craziest raw moments of of the show's history, and probably one of the craziest moments in all in WWE history. I can't say all wrestling history because there's a lot, but in WWE history, so Kane took off his mask and it gave him this weird disfigured face, and RVD was his first victim because I guess RVD was the guy <laughs> that encouraged him. So this newly unmasked Kane. Uh, Would pretty much go on a crazy, angry warpath, going after the likes of Jim Ross, setting him, setting him on fire, Stone Cold Steve Austin, choke slamming him, and even Linda McMahon, tombstowing her on the solid steel stage. All this happening on Raw, by the way. So as I mentioned already, this triggered the return of Shane McMahon after two years away um, off TV, and like I said. They wouldn't go full gear on the Kane Shane McMahon rivalry just yet because there was unfinished business, not just on Shane's side, um, but on the Kane and RVD front. So this matchup between Kane and RVD was made official for SummerSlam because they had to finish their own business. But then once you get to the actual match, uh Harfinkel announces like <laughs> right away that oh, this is now gonna be no holds barred. Oh, they're like, okay. All right, this is going to be even more interesting. So, this match it's it's fun. It it, it we know what the result was going to be, but it's like, you know, they at least tried to they at least tried to make it a little interesting. You know, Van Dam, you know, he tried to use his speed and his high flying offense to try and take down Kane, but it's just like damn. Um any offense that he had would be very brief at best. Kane often retook control right away, you know, they're trying to Make Kane this unmasked Kane, very unstoppable, very dominant, um, like as if he was super OP, <laughs> super overpowered. Um, but much later on, as we get towards the end of the match, you know, you at least get uh, RVD getting some some semblance of life, some semblance of a rally. Um, you'd get like the spinning leg drop on a draping uh, Kane from the apron to the barricade. And then he had hit his signature moves with a chair on Kane. But it still wasn't enough to keep him down. So RVD at least tried for coast to coast. But Kane avoided it at the very last second. And proceeded to give RVD a tombstone piledriver on the steel steps to win the match. So I'd say, you know, they faced off against each other like a couple weeks prior on Raw um, in a singles match. But, you know. This was a good run back. i say it's a good run back. And even though the result was pretty predictable, um, I think I'd say RVD at least was given ample time to show, hey, maybe th- there's a chance that he could upset Kane, even though the chance was like very minimal. Um, but again, this was more about continuing to establish Kane's new, unmasked, and unhinged persona at the time to prepare him for the feud with Shane McMahon. So speaking of which... Um, actually, you know, Kane and Rob Van Dam did have one more blow-off match two weeks later inside a steel cage on Raw, which, by the way, RVD did win initially um, by being thrown through the cage by Kane, but then general manager Eric Bischoff, the bitch that he is, restarted the match because RVD didn't technically win by escaping the cage by rules. So Kane would indeed win after restart after the match got restarted so then after the feud was officially over rvd would go on to feud with both christian and chris jericho uh for the intercontinental championship after that so obviously for kane you know now the feud with shane mcmahon was in full gear for most of the rest of the year um so kane shane mcmahon refuted each other but unfortunately for shane yeah kane would get the wins when it mattered most in a last man standing match at Unforgiven and then in Survivor Series in that ambulance match. So, poor Shane. Poor Shane. <laughs> so, now we have our main event. Uh, our main event uh, for the World Heavyweight Championship inside saying Structure, the Elimination Chamber. Your participants in this match are obviously the champion at the time, Triple H, going up against Goldberg, Chris Jericho. Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton, and Kevin Nash. This initially was supposed to be a one-on-one, notice qualification matchup between Triple H and Goldberg at SummerSlam. Somewhere along the way, Triple H suffered a serious groin injury um, during this feud with Goldberg that was ongoing, and then WWE had to book this Elimination Chamber match um, because rather than take the title off of Triple H because this is during triple h's reign of terror um they didn't want to take triple h um off tv they didn't want to take the title off him, but instead they booked this elimination chamber match um to limit the game's physical uh, activity and they also made him wear the infamous biker shorts yes the biker shorts (laughs) protected his groin they couldn't make him wear a cup or anything so no he had to. They made him wear the biker shorts to, like, I don't know, protect his crotch. Um, but yeah, this groin injuries, yeah, definitely a serious one. So they did all they could to protect them. And yeah, understandably, you know, injuries. Yes, but I'll talk about more about <laughs> as we talk about this match. So yeah, it looked like a initially star studded uh, elimination chamber match. But obviously, the heavy favorite going into this was Goldberg. Because, you know, he was running rampant all, th- all throughout Raw. And, of course, he had Triple H. And, I know, pretty much, yeah, he was pretty much dominating with the World Heavyweight Championship as well. So, something was going to come to a head here, you know, initially one-on-one, but now you have the Elimination Chamber. So, with this Elimination Chamber, you know, you started things off with Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. But, like I said, it was clear apparent That the fans wanted the heavy favorite Goldberg in that match already they were chanting for his name They wouldn't get their wish quite yet. You know, they get Randy Orton of evolution. Um, Yes He was in evolution at this time He would come out first after the first three minute interval had passed Then you would have Kevin Nash uh, being the next man in and he would go right after Chris Jericho um, who cut off Kevin Nash's signature long hair two weeks prior And, you know, Kevin Nash had that buzz cut, (laughs) as you saw, as you see. Um, But then Chris Jericho gets busted open by Kevin Nash. You know, Nash throws him like a javelin into the chain link wall. But then just minutes later, it's like Kevin Nash just gets eliminated (laughs) by Shawn Michaels, who hits sweet chin music. And then Jericho rolls him like a fruit roll up um, to eliminate Kevin Nash like a piss in the wind. I was like, damn. Like, I wonder why they went for the quick elimination on Kevin Nash like that. It wasn't even like, I think it it wasn't even like five or ten minutes into the match. It was like, Kevin Nash was already gone as soon as he entered. So it's like, ooh, (laughs) I wonder what happened there. So anyway, after Kevin Nash gets eliminated, Triple H was supposed to be the next man to enter, but Shawn Michaels immediately hits him with switching music once his pod opens, and Triple H... (laughs) <laughs> obviously is knocked out and i understand why they did this spot because like i said triple h was is, is not going to be doing anything physical in this match there's basically this match was basically triple h being in the pod for most of the most of the match and everyone is going to be doing the work so after this you know kevin nash threw a hissy fit once he like recovered and and he hit his jackknife powerbomb on both Chris Jericho and Randy Orton. And then he also, uh, when he threw Randy Orton into Shawn Michaels, uh, he also inadvertently busted him open. So Shawn Michaels was bleeding. Chris Jericho is bleeding now. Um, and then Kevin Nash left. So then you get the last man in, Goldberg. And he came in with the fury. He eliminated Randy Orton with the spear. Now, Triple H is all on his own. No evolution. Sure, you had Ric Flair on the outside, but what is Ric Flair going to do for you? Or, I don't know. Maybe. So, then, in one of the most famous moments of the Chamber match, Goldberg speared Jericho through the plexiglass. So, Jericho is knocked out, uh, and then HBK tries to rally on Goldberg, but then he would eliminate him, too. So, Jericho gets back in the ring. Um... And then he would get fed to Goldberg. And now it's just down to Big Bill and Triple H. And Triple H is like, fuck. <laughs> I'm screwed. My, my my reign of terror is about to end by Big Bill. But then Ric Flair, you know, he tries to do all he can to Triple H. Keep him inside the pod. But Goldberg just breaks down another plexiglass pod by literally kicking it. He literally kicks the pod down. Like, as if he's like... Uh, taking the door down or something. So, there's nowhere nowhere to hide anymore um, for Triple H. Goldberg makes him bleed the hard way by giving him some hard punches. And then, Goldberg throws him around silly into the chain wall. And everything was literally falling into place for Big Bill Goldberg to win the World heavyweight Championship. He was about to spear into oblivion until he didn't clearly see Ric Rick Flair passing to Triple H, his signature sl- sledgehammer. Like of all the things WWE can book so stupidly, like clearly on camera, it's like, and Big Bill can't see this. It's like he has a, like a wee little brain. It's like you can't see the, the sledgehammer that Triple H is game passed to. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on. So this is like really dumb. So you knew this. Like you kind of knew by that point. It's like oh. Goldberg is gonna lose here. So he does because this dumb booking mistake happens. Triple H hits the sledgehammer on Goldberg as he's running headfirst into him. And Triple H hits the Sledgehammer on Goldberg to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. Dumb. Dumb. Goldberg gets knocked out by the sledgehammer. Of God. Ugh. So dumb. So really dumb. So afterwards, you know, Randy Warren comes back out and then Evolution would give Goldberg a bloody beatdown. Um and, you know, they handcuff him to the chain link wall and then yeah, they pretty much gave Goldberg a couple more sledgehammer shots and then leave him a bloody mess. As Triple H once again claimed another victim in his reign of terror to end SummerSlam. Unreal, folks. Just unreal. So, for the match itself, I'll I'll talk about (laughs) what I wanted to talk about with uh, Triple H. But I'd say, you know, the Elimination Chamber, I'd say it it was all right. Um, I thought, like I said, I I thought Kevin Nash was going to stay in the match a little longer, um, you know, to get fed by Goldberg. But then they took him out really quick. I thought that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, And, you know, for as much as I crapped on Triple H's Reign of Terror already, I thought they they did okay. I thought they did pretty solid in making him a chicken shit heel, you know, because obviously, you know, you gotta keep protecting his like his groin injury. And then of course the dominance of Goldberg, you know, they are making him red hot um, out of the not just here but you know prior to this. And this you thought that this should have been the night that he would be crowned world heavyweight champion in 2003, right? Like him going through the entire, like nearly the entire field minus uh, Kevin Nash, going through the entire field that includes Triple H, and then on the second biggest uh, pay per view for WWE, that in but um behind WrestleMania of course, and getting that crowning moment. But no, no, instead he 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 loses to Triple H. On a sledgehammer shot. So. I don't get it. I don't get it. I guess the the big nose of Triple H. is like. Oh no. No brother. No. I get I get Even my injury. I got to dominate. On this night. Uh. Oh man. It's like one shot. One. Really? One shot. Oh god. It's like this ending. It literally ruined. It literally ruined. An okay elimination chamber match. And as 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 it's been for the reign of terror, as it was with RVD, as it was with Kane before he unmasked, and as it was with Booker T. During this during this period, it derailed Goldberg's momentum, just to once again put over Triple H. God, ugh, and injured Triple H to add. It's like. If you knew Triple H was going to be injured, then have him lose, have him lose the World Heavyweight Championship, especially considering what happened afterwards. Like, look, WWE did afterwards. Like, oh, man, the backstage politicking during, during Triple H's reign of terror. It's like, oh, man, this was just so dumb. Like, I can't say this is like one, like the, the worst booking decision by Triple H during his Reign of Terror because obviously the one with Booker T is like the worst um, even if it's just for a month Booker held the title because like this one it's like at least after I'll explain what happened they but this oh man they should have gave the title to Goldberg in this in this spot I mean obviously we can't go back and change it but it's like this was terrible. This was a terrible ending. This is a terrible ending. <laughs> it's like you literally should have Goldberg dominate this field, and then he just gets mollywopped. He just gets literally just gets KO'd like that. Terrible. So going to my next point, uh, he Goldberg would indeed challenge Triple H to a proper one-on-one match at Unforgiven for the World Heavyweight Championship. So there were a couple of stipulations in that match. Goldberg would have his career on the line. And then Triple H would lose the title, um, not just by pinfall or submission, but by countout or disqualification. So Triple H was at a major disadvantage. And by that point, he was still wearing the biker shorts. And he was still um, dealing with the groin injury. Uh, that match was not good um, at Unforgiven, that one-on-one uh, match. So why do I say um, Goldberg should have won the title, um, This it, even with the, all I said? Well, go look at the match at Unforgiven. That was not a good follow-up match. So, Goldberg would indeed win the title at Unforgiven at Triple H. But like I said, it was evident that they should have just did it at SummerSlam. It's like, what was the point of doing it at Unforgiven? When it's clear what you planned after Unforgiven, it could have been pushed a month earlier after SummerSlam. Dumb. Just Dumb. Because the plan after Unforgiven was Triple H being gonna stay on TV anyway, um, just he's not gonna wrestle and he's just gonna be in backstage in a non-wrestling segment, such being putting a hundred dollar, $1, thousand dollar bounty on Goldberg. Tony <sighs> Rob booking at the time was just really strange, really repetitive and strange. I don't know, man. I don't know what they were thinking at the time. It is, it's is—it's just a peak example of Triple H's reign of terror at its finest. At its finest, ladies and gentlemen. Overall, you know, SummerSlam 2003, aside from the ending, I thought it was a good show. I thought it was a solid, good show. Solid to good show Um, I, that I thought was going to get dragged down by the second and third matches. Um, I, I'd say, though, you know, it really picked up with the United States title, Fatal 4-Way. Um, A really strong WWE title match. And a good no disqualification match. Um, I thought, again, the elimination chamber match was uh, very decent. um, But the ending is always going to leave a sour taste in my mouth. Because it served as as another example of not striking when the iron is hot. Um, They didn't strike the iron when it's hot with Book T at WrestleMania 19. And they didn't do it again with Goldberg um, at SummerSlam. Yes, he won the title the next month at Unforgiven, but it was like... <laughs> the, his momentum was kind of fucked when, you, when he already won it at Unforgiven, and then he, was, or he would lose it at Armageddon by the end of the year. It was like... <laughs> what, what are you doing? So, in essence, he's a for, forever victim of Triple H's infamous reign of terror because, God, uh, didn't want to look weak on... The second biggest stage in WWE. Even though he was dealing with an injury. So you kind of were fucked in either case. So it's like. Shouldn't you have. Want to put Goldberg over. If you were Triple H. On the second biggest stage. That is SummerSlam. I don't know. I just find it kind of fucked up. So if you are a casual fan. Asking yourself. Should you go back and watch SummerSlam 2003. Should you find whatever resource, whether it be Peacock or the CERN website, to go back and watch SummerSlam 2003? In my opinion, I'd say yes. I'd say yes. I'd say this card was stacked with a couple of good storyline-filled matches. Yes, even the Shane McMahon and Eric Bischoff one was pretty solid in of itself. Uh, Just the match didn't equal the quality of it, though. But... I'd say you also had several talented upgrade card stars. um, And you had two good title matches to boot in the back half of the show. And then I guess if you're really interested, if you, if you want to see the reign of terror main event classic, then sure, sure. You can watch that too. So, you know, overall, I, I would kind of recommend SummerSlam 2003. um, If you're into some of the certain matches on that card, but Hey, at least I guess it's, Kind of better than what we're getting today. (laughs) So, yeah, SummerSlam, I'd say it's a solid to good show. So, there you go. So, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed my retro review of SummerSlam 2003. Again, it is a a solid uh, to good show. And where were you in 2003 when this event took place? Were you watching wrestling? Were you not watching wrestling? I certainly wasn't watching wrestling by that point. But it was good to revisit this show because I haven't really watch this show other than the, the elimination chamber and WWE title matches. So it was like a first time uh, experience going through this show in full. So i like to get you. i like to know your thoughts on this on this show. If you watched it before or I haven't watched it before or you're revisiting um, this show, um, whether it's 20 years later or however many years later, i like to know your full thoughts whether it's a comment on YouTube or social media in a DM, however you want to um, get a discussion rolling. But anyway, that is it for episode number 159 of Very Cold Lasagna. I am your host, Bill Lasagna. Thank you for tuning in to another episode, another retro review here on the podcast. And as always, keep that lasagna very cold in the fridge with your takes on the world of sports. And until next time, peace out.